When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Pod bless everybody. I'm your host of OPP, Corey Cambridge. And before we get started with this amazing episode, I want to tell you about my other show, Silent Giants. Silent Giants is a podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. Ever wondered who made the MTV logo? Did you know the person who wrote Earth, Wind & Fire's hit song September? Also wrote the theme song for the hit 90s TV show Friends? On Silent Giants, we learn more about these amazing people and dig deep to learn more about their most famous works. Be sure to check out Silent Giants on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Now, let me introduce you to our special guest of OPP. I'm Dallas Taylor, host of 20,000 Hertz, and this is OPP. Pod bless everybody and welcome to another episode of OPP. Other People's Podcast is America's number one podcast discovery platform that highlights your favorite podcasters and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is Dallas Taylor, host of the amazing podcast, 20,000 Hertz, a podcast that tells the stories behind the world's most recognizable and interesting sounds. I got in a chat with Dallas about fatherhood. We chat about entrepreneurship, his sound design company, DeFacto Sound. We get his podcaster's picks. And of course, we talk about his dope show, 20,000 Hertz. So on to my interview with Dallas Taylor. Okay, yo, Dallas, what's up, man? <laughs> what's up? It's good to, good to meet you. <laughs> I know. It's a pleasure meeting you as well. I know well, before we hit the record button, you were telling me that uh, uh, you are the father of three three beautiful girls, man. You just had your, your newest newborn. How's that feeling? Yep. I am uh, severely outnumbered, but that's okay uh, because they spoil me rotten and it's amazing and it's the greatest thing that's ever happened in my entire life. You got no male competition. None. <laughs> they just they just dote all over me, and it's amazing. They're just uh, they're all so sweet, and um, we're just best friends, and hang out all the time, and it's such a such a blast. How old's your oldest? She's six and a half. So we get to do lots of okay. fun stuff together, and then I've got a three and a half, and then now a one month old. I, I love the beautiful even distribution. Yeah, <laughs> the three year thing is a really nice balance. Um, it's like kind of. It's not too close. It's not too far away. They're still good friends, but they still fight, as as sisters do. But it's a, it's a lot of fun. They're 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 so sweet, and I'm having a blast. You know, Dallas, I, I'm I'm not a uh, parent. Uh, I have no children. But what what has fatherhood taught you? Ooh, uh, you know, it's <laughs> I think it's taught me that a lot of humility, and that um, I was super career focused for a really long time. And then once I once I had kids, I just realized, I mean, careers are important and all that stuff, but it's just like nothing compared to family and children and, you know, the people that you love and your friends and relationships. It's easy to let all that stuff slide uh, in lieu of just being hyper-focused on a career for a really long time. Um, but there's really nothing yeah. to be, I mean, you can have a great career and 
have great experiences. Um, another thing that it's taught me is to live in the moment a lot more. Um, I've, I've had, I've had tons of anxiety, uh, over worrying about the future and, and then worrying about the past and all that stuff. But like with kids, they just live like right now. They don't care what my career is. They don't care what their mom does. It's just here we are right now and spending time together. So it slowed me down in the moment and to realize that like really the only real thing is right now. We can plan for the future, but, um, but you know, it's good to be, it's good to be, uh, it's good to, to live in the moment to the best of your ability. What was that career path for you that you were uh, focused on? So I've been a sound designer for nearly 20 years now. Um, going into that, I was uh, planning on being like a band director. I was a trumpet player for a really, uh, for most of my childhood. And um, in my, kind of in the middle of, of school, when I was performing, I had a really nasty bout of performance anxiety uh, with playing the trumpet where I'd kind of like freeze up. And uh, I was at the top of all of my, uh, all of the ensembles and I was first chair and all that stuff. But then performance anxiety kind of squashed my whole trumpet playing career about halfway through school. Um, but I was always really techie and wanted to uh, kind of craft sounds in a way that once you crafted them, they stay crafted. My best performance was always going to be in a practice room. And I always, I wanted to do something where like when I made it, it stayed made. And so I went into the, kind of teetered into music recording, didn't like it at all, and very quickly jumped over to television and commercials uh, doing sound design. I did that uh, for a while at a bunch of big TV networks. I worked at uh, NBC and Fox and uh, G4, an old video game network, uh, all in LA before uh, going to the East Coast and working for the Discovery Channel as a senior sound designer. Uh, before starting my own business, which is DeFacto Sound. And then now, DeFacto Sound, uh, 10 years ago when I started it, um, does trailers and ads and stuff for like Nike and HBO and giant shows and stuff like that. And so that's that's kind of the bread and butter. But then three and a half years ago, started a podcast called 20,000 Hertz, which one thing led to another, and now we're talking Let's go back a little bit to like the the element of your career where you were talking about doing music recording. What about that kind of turned you off and made you want to pivot? I don't want to make giant gen- generalities, but I'll make a giant like general statement about that world. It felt like I don't know. It just felt like everyone was performing for each other in the room. Uh, like yeah. the persona of music, it just kind of it, it kind of went across all of life and. Um, I don't know. It was just a really negative experience. It was, uh, I mean, I know that music is some, is very human. It's very, uh, especially creating music. It's very human. It could be very, really emotional. Um, but I think I was just more analytical and, um, you know, creative, but analytical and stuff. And I just really loved like really professional environments where uh, a lot of really smart people are coming together to stretch the limit of what some, what can be done. Not to say that people in music don't do that. Uh, but at least early on, it was just a negative experience. I didn't like the process of, of, of it. I love the tech. I love the creativity. I love music. I love creating music, but I didn't like the process generally of that world. And, um, as soon as I found the sound design world and, and all of that stuff, it was just like, this is obviously where I need to be. It's still just as creative in a lot of ways. And, um, it's, it's almost like scientific. It's like where science meets creativity. And it was always the place that I was, most interested in. How did you first discover sound design? 
that was I found it found out really about it in recording school. I, I don't remember what it was specifically, but I remember within a week of planning on doing music recording, a, it was one week, and I was already wanting to do sound design. I, I think maybe. I kind of got exposed to it and just hyper focused on it uh, immediately and started doing whatever I could to go down that path. Um, my first job was was pointing a TV camera at a newscaster, and um, that it was like a sideways way. I just wanted to get close to an audio board professionally, and I knew that if I you know could go to a news station, I could. Uh, there's got to be an audio board somewhere within fifty feet of that, and so I pointed a camera. Um, and then very quickly, the audio person took me under their wing. I, um, very soon after that was starting to kind of like mix news shows. And then that led me to mixing like sports and doing all these things live. Um, but, uh, but not for music. So it was like this, a lot of preparation, a lot of like signal flow, like really, if you don't know how the engineering works and how it needs to be performed, um, you can really fall flat. And so I had this whole like live TV background before actually going into post-production, which is where now it's like the heavy crafting where, you know, we may, we may spend a day working on 30 seconds of a, of a, of something just to, to heighten it as much as we can. Um, but yeah, I think just the, finding out that there's so much more to sound than music was the big aha moment for me. Tell me the journey of you becoming an entrepreneur and starting de facto sound. So I was working at Discovery, uh, the Discovery Channel, which is a bunch of networks. There's like Discovery Channel, TLC, Animal Planet, um, Science Channel, and loved working with those networks. But there was a time where I was like, I, I just, I want to work with like natural, National Geographic and I want to work with um, video game companies doing trailers and um, in like HBO one day. And the only way to really do that was to go independent. Um, I had a great in-house job, but that wasn't going to afford me time to work with all of these other great brands. It was a good, it was a really fantastic like retirement type of job, but uh, I just had this creative urge to uh, work in different directions. And I, and I saw that, the, that all the best stuff, like the really high level creative um, from even those networks were all going out of house. And, um, and I could see who was doing that. And I was like, God, I really want to do that stuff. But to do it, I had to take an enormous risk of foregoing a very steady paycheck and benefits to go out and, uh, start my own thing. Uh, luckily I had a couple loyal clients at that point that, uh, that floated the, the first year, uh, year or two. And then a couple others joined along after the, the first year or two that kind of like, oh my goodness, I think I can actually survive. Um, but for the most part, it was like five years of pure terror trying to um, build something that had some sort of something recognizable as as uh, stable. And after that, it kind of uh, grew grew from there. But every year, it's like it kind of de facto sound kind of takes another step up and another step up with the type of people that we're working uh, with. And I think that just has to do with how um, kind of collaborative and create and, and creative minded the whole team is. Um, but yeah, every every year it's kind of like adding uh, new. Early on, it was like a lot of Discovery Channel clients, a lot of like National Geographic, um, things like that. And then it kind of ex- uh, expanded into like uh, Adidas commercials and Nike spots and um, big documentaries that like won Sundance and uh, was in all these different um, film festivals and stuff. And then it's just kind of another step and another step and another step to the point where now we're, we're doing sound design and mixing on Game of Thrones trailers and big giant oh, wow. ad campaigns and stuff yeah um but how was it stepping into the role of 
being an entrepreneur or being a boss and having employees and having to manage a team? How was that transition? Um, oh man, I have a lot of opinions on that. Uh, so there's a lot to unpack here. So, uh, stepping into entrepreneurship feels a lot like just going freelancing and with no safety net. And that's just like the way it, it goes. (laughs) Um, having a clear plan and understanding the difference, like there's things that like you have to understand going down that path. Like there's a difference between like a hobby and then there's a different and, and like a business. So a hobby is something that at the end of the day, like you enjoy doing, but it doesn't like put you in the black. Um, a business to my mind is simply a spreadsheet. There's nothing outside of a spreadsheet. That's a business to my mind. Now the things that feed that spreadsheet are the value things. That's the service that you provide or it's the, um, the thing that you sell. And so all of those things are kind of peripheral to the spreadsheet. Can whatever this service is, is it valuable enough for this spreadsheet to equal black? Uh, and being honest with, with kind of what costs are your own costs and, um, and all that stuff. I guess understanding that early was really important, really important that like it has to make money to be a business. That was the first step. And it's terrifying because everything's so loose and you're only relying on like a couple people and a couple clients to really like get you going. And, and really your goal is just to make them love you and tell all your friends, tell, tell all their friends about your company. Um, and really just do just perform at just an unreal level, which you can't ever stop. But, um, I would say that like most entrepreneurs that I know, follow the same path. Usually it's like a year or two of sheer terror followed by three years of like terror. Okay. It's okay. Terror. It's okay. So like five years of just like a lot of risk, but a huge rewards if you can pull it off. Bringing on employees, uh, are another, that's kind of another terrifying aspect because you kind of immediately look at the spreadsheet and go, Oh, my, my salary is going down by that much right away by bringing another person in. Um, but it's not that simple. Uh, kind of what you can do to free up your time when you bring in trusted employees um, can can take you to the next level. Like you have to have time to go to the next place. Uh, you can't just like work full work full time or work sixty or eighty hours of your actual job and then expect that you can take yourself to the next place without any more time. There's only so much of that that we have. So every time I've ever hired an employee, it always feels like a sacrifice and an investment. It's never a sense of like oh, I have all this extra money. Now it's time to, to, to hire an employee. It's like, no, I cannot get to the things that I know I need to do for this business without hiring somebody. But that's going to be a giant sacrifice and a giant risk. Dallas, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to your podcast, 20,000 Hertz. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And we're back. Tell me, how did you first hear of podcasting? Ooh, first hear about it. Uh, let's see. I'm, I'm going way back in my mind here. It must have been, I remember when I got really serious about it. It was 99% Invisible, like their first 10 episodes. I was a super early adopter of that show. I know I knew about podcasting before that. I was listening to more like, I know I was listening to more like um, TV show commentary. I remember there's this 
podcast I was addicted to called the Fringe Podcast. It was great. It was just like week by week they would just uh, they would just um, talk about the TV show Fringe, which I was totally into. And I think ninety nine percent Invisible came after that. But I think at the same time, like Radio Lab was really doing some wild stuff, and um, and it must have been like This American Life Radio Lab. And I was just constantly listening listening to those. And I think I probably heard of ninety nine percent invisible from radio lab and then from there it just blossomed and exploded so i've been listening i don't know 10 to 12 years i would think at what point did you realize that you wanted to start a podcast i knew a while ago like as soon as i heard 99 percent invisible i the first episode is about sound and i was like oh my goodness this could be an entire show immediately but 99 pi is doing it so you know the the thought was there from from day one of of 99 pi but Roman just crushed that format, and I was like, I will just consume this and not worry about it. You know, I, n- I don't even think I was thinking I'm going to make a podcast out of this. I just remember going, I want every single story I listen to to be about sound. And so, you know, some years went by. 99PI would kind of bounce around between like a sound show and an architecture show. And, you know, they were kind of finding their voice too. Uh, now, like 99PI is like so gelled, so clear. Stories can be all over the place, but it's like such a like – it's such just like a, a well-oiled machine that started to veer off of the sound stories. And I don't know if it was really with Roman's blessing, but I, I had known Roman for years. We had just got together maybe year, it was before his Kickstarter campaign, so maybe like a second year into doing, doing 99PI. We met and just hung out, got to talking and stuff. I still wasn't thinking about doing a podcast, but it, but the but the whole like thought of twenty thousand hertz was already in my brain. Something is going to be done under that banner. I think I had a uh, the website and and all those things like seven or eight years ago. Um, I thought about being like a YouTube thing, and or, or I didn't know exactly how it was going to come together. I, I thought maybe it'd be just like funny YouTube videos. Uh, I just I didn't know. So years kind of went by. Ninety nine pi really started to go in a direction of uh, visual. Uh, with still amazing like nuggets of sound stories, maybe like twice a year or something. Uh, all the while, I was just writing down every story I'd love to hear. And it was just like getting to the point where it was like hundreds of stories all in the sound world. And then I was like, God, I really want to do this. Um, I loved the form. Uh, I, I dabbled in, in, in it in like college radio and stuff. I, I felt like I did not have a voice for it at all, but I know that podcasts need people who hate their voices because we need those voices out there in the world. And so I um, started working on it, just dabbling um, initially for a year. And I knew that the first two stories, the voice of Siri and NBC chimes were the things I wanted to tackle. So we spent about a year internally kind of like messing around. Can we do this? Uh, You know, it's terrible. We hate the show. Uh, We would pack, we'd write it, rewrite it, unpack it, you know, edit it, re-edit it. And, uh, and yeah, so like one thing kind of led to another and then it was just like, okay, we're going to do this. And then it was just like thousand miles an hour from the moment we, we put it out. Uh, when we put out that first episode, actually, let's see, it was the first episode. I think it was maybe like a couple hundred people listened to it. Um, all friends and stuff put out the second episode and a couple ep- you know, a couple hundred people, maybe 50 more people listened to it. At that point, Roman Mars, I, I met him, I just kind of bumped into him in the middle of a podcast convention and uh we were just catching up hey what's going on yeah i put out my show like you know what do you think and he was like it's amazing like it's 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 so perfect and i was like i hope you don't think i'm stepping on your toes or what he's like no not at all like this is these are great stories and stuff and he was like matter of fact can i play your 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 uh, nbc chimes episode on our feed uh kind of as a little feature and i was like yeah that'd be amazing so the day our third episode came out 
uh, was the same day that he put played our, our second episode on his feed. And then it was just like stats just went like through the roof. Cause it was just, you know, he has got to have like a million at this point, but it was just like straight up. So like, I don't know, 20,000 plus people like listen to it in like one day. The show is expensive to make uh, because to, to produce something to that level takes writers, producers, sound designers, all of which to the level that we need to produce it, all of which requires money. And so I was just pouring money out of my own savings and all this stuff and, and dwindling it down to nothing. After the first 10 episodes, like I had completely dwindled every dollar I could ever put into it. Thankfully, it was, I think, episode 11 where we had advertisements for the first time. Um, and, and thankfully, it was at a number, thanks to Roman, that like we could get kind of the blue aprons and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, it was a... Every single person who's ever worked on the show from the very beginning, anyone who touches the show outside of me gets paid like fairly for their work. It's just something that's like I never wanted anybody else to invest in my own passion. And it took a lot of financial sacrifice on top of just my own time and, and all that stuff to, to do it. I would love to ask about like how, how did that transition happen for you to be able to get advertisers? What's the first step for a, for an independent podcaster to make that happen? I think it's just got to have numbers um, because it's really hard to get anyone's attention without the numbers. Um, like the time it takes, because usually like CPMs kind of land, that's C, CPMs are like cost per thousand when people are buying advertisements. So for a thousand people that listen to the show, it's, um, you know, typically advertisers are going to pay 25 to $35, maybe maybe more if you're like, I don't know, This American Life or something. I, I have no idea what, they're, what they charge. Um, to get an agency to want to spend the time on it, like they need to spend like a couple thousand dollars an episode, I've noticed, maybe like a thousand or maybe even 500 or something. So when you, when you have like a certain number where like at the end of the day, the, the insertion order is only going to be like $200, it's the labor to put that together, like the time it takes the podcaster and the time it takes the agency just to put together those numbers and put together that uh, insertion order kind of already negates the entire thing, like the entire cost. Like they've already, everyone's already spent the money just putting together the stuff. So that's why I think in podcasting, you hear a lot of people say like, if you want like your standard advertisers, most people are looking at that 50,000 listener per episode range. Cause if you kind of do the math on that, let's see, 50 times 25 is $1,250, I think. Um, and so then, then like per episode, you might get that from one ad. And then for us, we try to do two ads to kind of uh, add that up. For the longest time, we still, I mean, even now we only break even with all the costs. Like I don't really make anything. Occasionally I might make a smidgen of something, but the people making the the advertising money on my show are all the people I hire. So like the the writers and the sound designers and the, um, the graphic artists for our website and stuff. Um, I just invest all that right back into the show. I have a very simple question that I believe I know the answer to, but I feel like for the listeners who aren't, uh, sound oriented or, or, or knowledgeable about sound. What does 20,000 Hertz mean? So 20,000 Hertz. So a Hertz H E R T Z is like a unit of sound, uh, measurement, like frequency. And so, you know, we can hear really low, low sounds, and we can hear really high sounds. Uh, so that low sound that I just sang was probably like a hundred and I don't know. I'm going to I'm just going to guess. I'm just going to say 116 Hertz. Uh, the high sound I did was probably like 45, nah, probably not that high. I don't know. I'm not even going to guess. Um, that's my best guess. Uh, 
But 20,000 hertz is the limit of human hearing. So we can hear when we're children because we can't as we get older. The, the limit of human hearing is all the way up to 20,000 hertz. So it's a super high, high like pitch noise. How is having, um, you know, having de facto sound as your company, but also having 20,000 hertz as your podcast? How's your podcast uh, helped improve uh, your business or your personal brand? I think you, you're, you're definitely hitting the nail on the head of, of things that are beyond advertising. I would say that on a grand scheme of things, things that I can't even quantify with money, advertising is a portion of the value that comes by doing research and making things and, and, and being some sort of communicator on a certain topic. And so there's been a lot of things happen outside of advertising that's been really beneficial. I remember really early on we got some really giant Nike spots because the creatives at the agency liked the podcast and they're like, Oh, uh, they have a sound design studio. Let's, let's work with them. Um, a lot of the clients that we work with already and the collaborators, they listen to the podcast cause they just like to hear what we do. So it's solidified a lot of relationships. Um, and, uh, and I don't know, making something that's kind of beyond just my insider circle, like if I wanted to do a show to just speak to my little world, I'd do a show like called producers and I would just talk to TV producers to where other TV producers would listen to that. And then that would work. Um, it's not a bad idea cause I'd love to hear from more producers, but, um, but I don't know. I, I think that the mission was way higher than that. Like the mission is way global for like grandmothers and kids and everyone uh, to be able to enjoy sound. Nothing. We don't want to do anything on the show that like takes away or puts a barrier up for someone to enjoy sound. Uh, whether that be um, it, lots of things, cursing, like any, like we don't do that because we want kids to be able to enjoy sound. We want parents to feel okay with like, oh, this is a, this podcast is okay. It's it's clean and, and all that stuff. Not you know, there's lots of interviews that we do where we go down very funny um, rabbit holes that five year olds can't listen to. But I, I cut that because it's like it's getting in the way of the mission. And so having that like kind of high level mission brings a lot of opportunities. Like uh, since especially over the past year and a half, I get a lot of like public speaking opportunities and in places that are outside of my own um, wheelhouse, like um, acoustical society stuff and, um, and just uh, kind of linguistics people and things that like I never really knew much about until I started putting things out to the, to the world. Uh, but yeah, lots of, lots of really cool opportunities and, and it just stretches my own mind. A lot of it is just like mental stimulation that I don't know, kind of going back to that, uh, that thought of risk and reward and ups and downs. It's given me a lot of opportunities to be uncomfortable in a good way. Like, Hey, do you want to talk to like a thousand people about some random thing? And I'm like, uh, I, my body says no. My brain says, no, I do not want to do that. But my mouth immediately goes, yes, I'll do that. Because it's like, that's what living's about, like doing stuff that kind of makes you uncomfortable and see what's on the other side of it. So that's what, that's been the biggest thing for me is just like, uh, I, um, I try not to make the show about me. Uh, I definitely feel very confident in my ability to communicate sound, but I don't want to be the star of the show. Like that's the guests and the topic and sound itself. Uh, but there, but there have been a lot of opportunities where, where, um, through that and hosting that, that people have like been able to bring me on and where I can speak about my own opinions. So uh, Dallas, we are now at a part of the show called our podcasters picks. It's our segment where I ask uh, today's guests to give me three podcasts that you love uh, that we should be listening to. And I would love for you to describe 
uh, the shows to me. The one that I can't stop listening to is Reply All. It's just so beautifully oh, done. I love, I love, and they don't, I love it. They don't need any more listeners. They're enormous, and everybody knows about Reply All. But it's just one of those things that like I can't not say because I listen to all of them. And it's the only podcast I think I've listened to every second of from the very beginning. And I just can't stop. You know, one thing you asked me about a lot was entrepreneurship. So it seems like that's something that's like near and dear to your heart. And there's a tiny little show that I was on, but it's by, but it's done by a couple guys who ran creative studios that they're, they just drop these giant bombs of wisdom all the time to the point where I'm actually taking but behind the scenes, like something I would not communicate publicly, but like I'm taking kind of um, for the next three months, I'm like doing a course with them directly. And uh, and that's this through this uh, company called RevThink, very much geared toward um, creative studios. Like how do you stand out among all of the C's, you know, all the C of creative studios? They have a podcast called Rev Thinking. Um, very, very niche, but just incredible, a niche or niche, niche or whatever. I don't know. I learned that one time in a podcast and I never, never, it never stuck, but rev thinking, um, you know, it's, it's just great information that about just running a creative studio that, uh, that I, I adore and I like their mission too. Okay. I have one more, uh, you know what? I'll just go with it. Some of all parts. That's the other one. It's just, a sh- it's like a very high, it's a, it's done out of Australia. Really, really cool show that is, um, kind of about math and numbers. And we featured one of their, uh, podcasts recently and it was fantastic. Oh, every little thing. It's so good. Um, mogul, another one that's really good right now. Um, you know what? I'm just going to ignore all this stuff. But anyway, every little thing, some of all parts, reply all, uh, rev thinking. And I think I forgot one mogul. Maybe that's it. But the, there's five. Um, oh, and then the one, the one that won't be named because I, I already said it before. <laughs> so there's, there's a few in Dallas. And before we get out of here, why do you podcast? For me, it's a little bit different than I think a lot of other people. I, uh, going back to that, like I never wanted anything to get in the way of sound. I knew if this was a YouTube, uh, if this was a YouTube channel, which by the way, we have a YouTube channel. It's uh, de facto sound. It's not under the 20,000 Hertz brand. I always said that like the two things I'm most passionate about are making podcasts and making really dumb sound related YouTube videos. We finally did the second part recently where now we're posting like nearly every day, like a, like a, a piece of a video that's just taken completely out of context with sound design. So it's a lot of fun. That's just, if you search de facto sound on YouTube, go subscribe to that. But why a podcast specifically in the sound world, it wasn't necessarily a shoe in. I see the power of YouTube uh, immensely, but I knew if I did a show about sound, it would all become the same old, same old. It would be, what camera did you use? How are you doing your lighting setup? Like, oh, that's a beautiful shot. And it's like, it takes away from sound. And I knew at a certain point that the only way to communicate sound and how powerful sound is by itself uh, is to do it in a medium that has nothing else that can take the attention away. And so that's, that's why I specifically have 20,000 Hertz as a podcast. Dallas Taylor, man, thank you so much for being on OPP. I really appreciate you. I really appreciate what you contribute to the podcast space and as a creative who loves music and loves sound. I just respect and love your show. And thank you so much for taking the time to be on OPP. Well, thank you so much. And this was so much fun to, to be here.
thank you all so much for checking out the latest episode of OPP and to our special guest, Dallas Taylor. Be sure to check out 20,000 Hertz on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. This episode was mixed by Bradley Naiman. Music for this episode was produced by Richie Quake. And are you down with OPP? If so, be sure to leave us a five-star review in the Apple app and let me know your favorite podcast in the review section. Lastly, before we get out of here, check out my other show, Silent Giants. Silent Giants highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture, and you can find that as well on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Pop bless y'all. Till next time. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.